Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a very special episode of the Built on Purpose podcast, where each episode I interview exceptional leaders, entrepreneurs, authors, philosophers, and straight up interesting people to explore their outlook on life, work, and leadership. My hope for our listeners is that you can take away a special nugget of information from each of these interviews, something that will serve you and the people most important to you in pursuing a life built on purpose. My name is Brian Moore, co-founder and managing partner of Y Scouts, and today I'm interviewing Mickey Agrawal. There's so much to share about Mickey, I don't even know where to begin. Mickey's a force of nature, a challenger of the status quo, a professional soccer player, a DJ, an author, a twin sister, a social entrepreneur, a five-year Burning Man participant, and the leader of tackling some of the most taboo subjects we all deal with. In this episode, Mickey talks about the moment that changed her life, the challenges of starting a restaurant in New York City, the horror she saw in Africa that led her to starting Thinks, the massive opportunity that exists for all of us to make the world a better place, and how Burning Man has served as a source of inspiration and creativity. Grab your seatbelt for this episode. You're going to need it. Well, Mickey, it is just such a pleasure to have the opportunity to chat with you. And uh, there's a good chance some of the listeners have been living under a rock. And so I want to give everybody a little bit of sense of your background can you just share a little bit about your upbringing because it's incredibly fascinating and, uh, and maybe take us through your journey a little bit and some of your early career years. Um, yeah. So basically, um, I graduated from Cornell university in, um, uh, the, the spring of 2001. Um, I did, I basically took two months off and, ran around Europe like every college graduate <laughs> and then came back and did, I got a, and had a job at Deutsche Bank waiting for me, which was an investment banking position. Um, and uh, I spent, you know, July and August uh, training um, down by World Trade Center and uh, my subway stop every single morning was to World Trade Center. And um, so, um, you know, my first official day of my job was the first week in September of 2001. And so I would basically go to two World Trade Center, walk upstairs, um, and get tea with my girlfriend who worked on the hundredth floor at Aon and then walk across the street to my job, Deutsche Bank, which is directly across the street from two World Trade Center. Um, and then we all know what happened 10 days later or 11 days later, 9-11 happened. And, um, and 700 people in my girlfriend Laura's office died. Um, two people in my office died. And it was just the craziest time. And that was the first and only day in my life that I slept through my alarm clock. Wow. Yeah. So never before, never after have I ever slept through my alarm clock. And so that's when I really realized that the mystery of life is that you never know when it's going to end. So the time was absolutely now to make it count. <laughs> that's uh, quite, a so defining, I, quite a defining moment. Yeah, it's really 22 years old. Um, so I basically wrote down three things I wanted to do with my life. The first was to play soccer professionally, because yep. why not? <laughs> um, the second was to make movies, and the third was to start a business. And um, to kind of fast forward through it, um, you know, found out the New York Magic were holding tryouts in Brooklyn and um, spent the next two and a half months trying out for the New York Magic, made the team, made a starting lineup, and was also to quit my investment banking job. But then 
um, decided to play my first game just to see how it goes. And um, in the first game, got the ball, was you know juking past two defenders and um, crossed it, and then this, you know striker scored a goal. Within the first eight minutes of my professional career, I, I had an assist. And but in that very moment, a girl came out and took out my leg and her a telltale snap my knee and tore my ACL. Oh. I know. It was oh. terrible. Oh. Oh. So bad. And so I had to basically stay at the investment bank for another year so I can get the very best health insurance with the very best surgeon, the physical therapist, the whole nine. And then so I went back out again the following year, made the team again, made the starting lineup again against Alon, and then in the semifinal game tore my other ACL. Oh my God. Yeah. So is that, is that the universe trying yeah. to tell you something or just bad luck? Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, so it, it, I'm um, curious from from your soccer days, for, first of all. Was soccer real big for you growing up? Was it a family tradition? Was it something that your your folks or other family members had imparted upon you? Yeah, I mean, you know, the entrepreneurial spirit, you mean? No, the actual, the game itself. I mean, to play soccer, obviously, to, to, to play at a professional uh, level like that, I'm assuming you were playing all your life. Oh, yeah. I started playing when I was four years old. My dad was my soccer coach. My mom was my assistant coach. You know, I grew up. You know, I played on, you know, went to the national championships with my team growing up many years in a row. And all my teammates in, in growing up went to D1 colleges in the States. And, um, and uh, yeah, played all four years at Cornell and, um, you know, and wanted to, I just love, it was like, I, I was defined as a soccer player my whole life. So it was um, an obvious, you know, I, want, I really wanted to see how it, you know, if it could happen. Yeah. So for, for, I'm curious, from your major league soccer experiences, um, is there a big takeaway that you were able to apply to what has been just a series of super successful entrepreneurial opportunities, which we're going to get to in a minute? But is there a big lesson learned from playing soccer at that elite level that applies to what you're doing every day? Oh, yeah. I definitely think that, you know, like when you lose a soccer game, you have to bounce back up and play the next day with your heart out. And I think, you know, sports teaches you that in such an important way that, you know, when you run into adversity, when you fail, when you lose, you still have to pick yourself up and just work hard the next day for another win. And um, I think sports prepares you tremendously for the business world. Especially so, handling failure. Yeah, absolutely. So, so obviously, uh, you're not at Deutsche Bank anymore. That experience uh, got you, you know, a, a good start. Um, and then you decided to start a restaurant. Is that? Uh, do I have the chronology yes. correct here? Yes. And so, uh, well, no. So after soccer, I basically worked in the film business for a couple of years. And while I was working the film business, something kept happening to me over and over again. I kept having these stomach aches. And, um, you know, working on set of commercial music videos, you just would eat craft service and just eat crappy food all day long. And, um, and, uh, I was, um, you know, I was just like, showering on like pigs in a blanket and processed crap all day long. I would keep coming home with horrible stomach aches. And finally, eventually I said, you know, enough is enough. Like what's happening to my stomach and researched it. Um, and, uh, discovered that the massive processed food industry discovered that, you know, the bleach flour, the bleach bleach flour and processed dairy and 
hormones and pesticides and you know and and preservatives and the whole nine there's like a real there's a real thing in causing you know you know helping cause over a billion obese people on the planet in addition to a, a billion hungry people on the planet and causing a lot of causing a lot of allergies and afflictions and so we're just so that's kind of that was my first big aha idea aha moment my first business idea um the first you know business idea came from realizing that oh wow at the time i had to give up pizza i couldn't eat pizza anymore um it was bleached flour processed cheese processed topping sugar-filled sauce is just really bad for you and so um so i was like oh wow what if we can take this food that everyone knows and loves you know pizza is a 32 billion dollar industry under you know americans eat 100 acres of pizza every single day it's crazy oh my god and we clearly we clearly love pizza and so um and so you know just wanted to um uh so so said why don't we take this beloved food and turn it on its head and um uh, and use, you know, gluten-free flour, hormone-free cheeses, local seasonal organic toppings, and, you know, create an alternative pizza place. And that was the first idea of my first business. And this was the genesis of Wild. This is the genesis of Wild, yeah. And the website for that is eatdrinkwild.com. Um, so it's starting a restaurant in New York City. I mean, that's no small feat. Um. That is that is no <laughs> more of a cray cray person. Yeah, like that's kind of like uh, batshit crazy gene running through you there to 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 do that. But good for you. What was that like? Um, um, um what was which part <laughs> like? The 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 beginning, the courage, the the challenge, the headwinds, the first few years just to get this thing off the ground. Oh my god, it was like the most painful like punches to the face wake up call I've ever experienced in my entire life. You know, we are um poof. yeah, we um I, I basically spent the next seven years really living seven days a week in my restaurants, like really working till two o'clock in the morning, like, you know, just trying to figure out how to make it work. You know, you, I think everyone at some point in their life should work in the restaurant business because it teaches you how to be humble. It teaches you how to work with hangry people. You're dealing with like, you know, consistent food being delivered the same way in the exact same timing. You know, the pizza gets cooked a little bit too much, a little bit too little. It's not good. It has to be the perfect amount of cooking. You have to have the timing right. You have to know when to order and reorder new products. You have to know when to pay your employees. You have to know, like, you know, when to, when to, you know, get all their licenses renewed. You have to like make sure the place is perfectly clean for the New York health department. And you have to, Oh my God, taxes and accounting. And Oh my God, it's everything all just shoved in your face at once. And you're just, and you just learn and you screw up and you learn, you screw up. And it was such a, such a humbling experience. So through all of that, um, I, I know the restaurant's still alive. It's kicking. It's doing well. Um, yeah, there's two locations. Yeah. Uh, so uh, sh- share with us where along the journey did things come from and how that came to life. And, and I want to get into, you know, this this focus or at least this uh, this area that you seem to have focused on is kind of like these taboo subjects and these taboo things that many of us deal with, and frankly, we all deal with. 
um, and, and how all of this has really sort of consumed what you're up to and, and the difference that you're making in the world. Give us a, a sense of how you go from the restaurant business to Thinks and Tushy and Icon and everything that you're working on. And maybe start with Thinks if, if, if you can. Yeah, for sure. So Thinks was born, um, you know, first of all, just as a busy woman, kept running from one restaurant to another and kept having monthly period accidents. You know, it was so irritating that every time I'd have my period, it would be like my first time ever having my period. Like, oh my God, it's a mess and it's a disaster. I have to run home and change. And it was so annoying. And um, did a lot of digging in the feminine hygiene category and discovered that, you know, the feminine hygiene category is a $15 billion category. The underwear category is a $14 billion category. And there have only been three major innovations in the entire 20th century. You know, the invention of a tampon in 1931 by a man. You know, the added addition of the uh, adhesive strip underneath the pad. Um, you know, in 1969, eliminating the need for menstrual belts, clips, and pins. And then, you know, in 1980s was really the popularization of the menstrual cup. And really, since then, there's been little stone innovation um, in a category that will be required for the better part of our lives. You know, it's crazy. And so... That is crazy. Um, it's nuts. And so, uh, you know... Uh, and the real, the big aha moment for things came when my sister and I were at our family barbecue in 2005. Our family barbecue is called Agripalooza. Uh, my last name is Agrawal, so it was just adorable. Little, sure, uh, great family barbecue. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, and um, at Agripalooza, 15th annual Agripalooza, my sister and I were defending our three-legged race championship title, uh, as one does. And in the middle of the race, my twin sister Rada started her period. And so we had to literally run to the bathroom, still tied to each other, so she can change out her bathing suit bottoms. And while she was washing out the blood from her bathing suit bottoms, that's when we had the aha moment. <gasps> what if we could create a pair of underwear that never leaks and never stains, that absorb blood, that support women every day of the month? Wouldn't that be awesome? Mm. But because it was 2005 and I just opened my restaurants in 2005, I couldn't really focus on this project. I just, you know, was in over my head with the restaurants. And so tabled the idea for the next five years, although the next five years kind of collected, you know, antimicrobial technology as I heard about it or moisture technology and added my little like sinks folder or my little period underwear folder. And uh, got to 2010 when I was traveling to South Africa for the World Cup. That's when I discovered the massive issue that girls were facing in the developing world, where girls were using, you know, leaves and mud and old rags and bits of mattresses and mud and bark and whatever they can find to manage their periods, causing a lot of infection, causing girls to drop out of school, miss school, and just putting girls behind because of their periods. It was insane. You know, never had it crossed my mind what are girls using to manage their periods in the developing world. Sure. And so... Um, so came back super enraged and discovered that over 100 million girls are missing a week of school when they have their period. And millions of those girls are dropping out of school because there's something as natural as their periods. So um, it was uh, um, um, so it was just like I basically came back and then resurrected the idea of, okay, there's clearly a period problems around the world. In the first world, girls were leaking and staining their underwear and creating a mess for themselves, like the feminine, current feminine hygiene products were not up to snuff. And then in the developing world, girls had nothing, access to nothing. And so what we wanted to do was like, okay, so let's create a pair of underwear. Let's take this underwear idea and actually make it 
leak-proof and absorbent and antimicrobial and moisture-wicking and, and actually support women during the most normal time of the month and, and make it look and feel like a regular pair of underwear. That was the most important part. And then for every pair of underwear sold, we wanted to fund uh, an organization that was um, fighting the menstrual crisis in the developing world. So we found an organization in Uganda called AfriPad, and they make washable, reusable cloth pads at an affordable price. So we said, was, okay, let's take the Tom's model, which is the buy one, give one model, right. and sort of innovate on that and, and elevate that model because sometimes the, the model doesn't work because let's just say you sell shoes locally in Uganda and all of a sudden a bunch of free shoes appear in, you know, in your town, what happens to your shoe business? Yeah. What happens to your shoe business? And wreak havoc on the shoe business. Right. So yeah. it screws up your business. Totally. And so what we wanted to do was really elevate the model and say, let's find an organization that's a for-profit company that's on the ground in Uganda or in the developing world that's actually selling these pads at an affordable price where girls can afford them. So what we decided to do was we, we found an organization in Uganda called AfriPad. And what we're doing is for, is that for every pair of underwear sold, we fund AfriPad so they can make these pads and then they sell them locally at an affordable price, a subsidized price. So Afropads builds their business, girls can afford to pay for these pads, and it creates a sustainable business model and not a welfare model. Well, and I bet so I that have was, to assume a great uh, byproduct of that as well as your these companies like Afropads are growing, they're creating more jobs. Exactly. And so we when we met with Afropads, they had twenty five employees. Now they have hundred and sixty five employees. I mean that's just they're awesome. Creating, yeah. And so we're really, you know, we played a part in that for sure. And um, super thrilled about really empowering women locally, empowering local businesses and cre- creating that sustainable business model. So, um, so I was going to ask if you, I was going to ask if you've been able to go back to Uganda and see firsthand the impact that you're having. Oh, yes. I tell, visited tell, Uganda. Tell me about it. Yeah. Tell I visited, us about it. Yeah. Oh, I visited Uganda um, last year and, um, was able to go to, you know, met with the Acropaz company in Kampala and then went to Masaka and visited the factories and met all the girls who worked there and then went to, um, went to the local towns, um, in Tororo and on the other side of, of Uganda and visited the actual girls that were receiving the Afropads and how the impact is, how it impacted their lives. And these girls went from missing two days to two weeks of school per month to being 100% attentive. That's amazing. So it was working. Yeah. And so it was incredibly empowering experience. I really loved it. But actually what we're doing now is, um, is, you know, we are launching our, over the last five years, I've basically been listening and listening and listening to NGOs and what girls are dealing with in the developing world and what, what the biggest issues are. And one of the greatest problems that girls are facing is that they're not safe, that they are unsafe and they are um what do you you mean by unsafe how unsafe from threat of they're they're they're, they're, yes and so they're unsafe from they're 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 threatened so if you're a girl's walking to school yeah you know and she's threatened to get raped or get hurt or get taunted and get you know rocked and get all kinds of things get mugged and all this stuff um, or if she's about to go relieve herself, she's way at risk of getting raped. Um, so a lot of girls have to actually hold their pee and poop in all day long and wait till nightfall and go in groups of girls in packs 
walk one to two miles away from where they live and relieve themselves, which is so bad for you to hold in your pee and poop all day long. A lot of these girls become dehydrated because they don't even want to drink any water because they don't want to relieve themselves. They're so scared to get raped or hurt. And it's a, it's a very, very real danger. For wow. girls. Um, and if girls don't have access to toilets in their schools, um, they have nowhere to go and, and, and change their pads or, 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 or even just go to the bathroom. And again, they're at risk. And so just by putting latrines in schools for girls in the developing world, increases the likelihood of girls to attend school by 11%. Wow. That's not even, that's not even, that's not even, you know, including the accessibility of the pads just by offering clean latrines for girls to release themselves. Oh my God. So it's, um, it's a very, very real problem. And so what we we're, we're creating now is global things, global girls clubs, which are safe spaces for girls to basically go and learn about their bodies. And, um, um, <laughs> yeah, I said learn about, um, their bodies, um, get, get, um, you know, uh, menstrual products at subsidized prices, um, learn about self-defense, learn about personal finance, learn about entrepreneurship. And so that when they, you know, they have a safe space to go and just pee themselves without worrying about being harassed, dealing with all this bullshit they have to deal with on a daily basis. So, um, we're super excited to learn Unbelievable. Uh, so, I... so what, but I'm, but I'm going back to think, you know, really, because I think, did I even know, did I talk about how, what think is, or do you want to even, you already know that? Do I do, do, do ask the question again, you were breaking up a little bit. Oh, I said, do you know? Do you know what Thinks is like? What the actual product does? My Thinks underwear. Oh, absolutely. Do I? Yes. Do all of our listeners? Likely not. Do you want to give a quick high level overview of what it does? Sure. That'd be great. So basically, yeah. So basically, what and I'm wearing Thinks right now myself. So I'm on my fifth day of my period right now, for example, and I'm wearing my high waisted um, Thinks underwear. And what it does is, it, the innermost layer wicks away moisture. So if you bleed into the underwear. It sounds weird. It sounds totally weird. But a lot of women bleed into a pad. And, there's, and you're bleeding into a bulky, uncomfortable, plastic pad that is unhygienic, unsanitary, and it's not antimicrobial. And so what we're doing is we're saying, instead of doing that, you can, like right now, I am bleeding into my underwear that looks and feels like a sexy pair of underwear yeah but the innermost layer the innermost layer wicks away moisture so you feel dry like i feel it's dry right now. i don't feel like i'm sitting in anything wet then it wicks through into a micro thin absorption layer and it absorbs up to two full tampons worth of blood and then it, the the top layer is also antimicrobial so you don't have to worry about germs and then the whole thing is leak proof but it's breathable so you'll never worry about leaking through it um and it's enveloped in a beautiful pair of underwear, again, that looks and feels like a regular pair of underwear. It doesn't feel like you're wearing a pad. That's what took us three and a half years to develop the technology that really looks and feels like a regular pair of underwear. It's the most liberating thing. And if you feel, a woman feels uncomfortable wearing the underwear and bleeding right into the underwear, she can wear a tampon or a menstrual cup with the underwear and use the underwear as the perfect backup. If they, if they, you know, they'll never have to wear a panty liner again, which are super uncomfortable. So it really depends. We always say hashtag know your flow. You know your flow best. You know your yourself best. You can start by wearing the underwear as a perfect backup. And as you get more comfortable with the underwear, you can start removing the tampon or the eventual cup with it and just wear them by themselves. You'll see how magical and how, like, you know, how liberating it is to wear them. 
So if our listeners, uh, those that uh, have an interest in this, want to get uh, uh, get themselves a pair or two or three or four, what's the best way for them to go about doing that? Oh, they just go to shethinks.com. And it's S-H-E-T-H-I-N-X.com, correct? That, that's correct. Great. Um, shethinks with an X.com. And, um, and you can go and you, you can actually buy different underwear that has different flow levels. So our hip hugger holds two full tampons worth of blood, such a heavy flow pair. Our sport and our high waist are medium flow pair. So on your you know, third and fourth day, you can wear those underwear by themselves. On your light days, you can wear a cheeky um, or a boy short. And then on our lightest days, your last couple of days, where there's something like drop, you're wearing, you're basically wearing um, the thong. We have a thong underwear. Do you ever catch yourself thinking about this work that you're doing? And if you and your team at Thinks weren't doing this, what would be the outcome? What the outcome would be that all these girls would not be able to go back to school? Do you think about the impact you're having? Um, yeah, I mean, I really, I mean, it keeps, it, it like helps me a lot, actually. Sometimes when it's, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with a lot of stuff. Growing a business is hard. In sure. general, growing a business is hard. Sure. So, you know, growing a social enterprise or growing a business in general, just building a company is hard. And sometimes when it's just very, like, overwhelming, I kind of meditate on the fact that, you know, for every pair of underwear sold, we fund a pack of reasonable menstrual pads for the adult world. Like, we know that we're helping girls and changing their lives, and that keeps me going 100%. And, of course, we're also changing the lives of girls here by offering them things underwear. Sure. I mean, the number of times that we've heard thousands of times that are that, that things that's completely changed their lives. It's incredible. So uh, I, I know we don't have a ton of time, uh, but l- can we talk about Tushy just for a minute? Yes. So, uh, and again, it's, it, it falls into this sort of, uh, you know, North uh, or, or excuse me, South, uh, South of the equator, this taboo stuff that you've really struck a chord, something that clearly uh, gives you a tremendous sense of meaning and purpose in what you're doing, and frankly, something that everybody deals with. So, uh, talk to us about Tushy and what you're up to there. Yeah. So, Tushy is a something that's so near and dear to my heart um, <laughs> because, again, we're thinking about elevating the first world experience while giving, while fighting a crisis in the developing world. So, right now, this crisis is a sanitation crisis. Right now, forty percent of the world don't have proper sanitation. Um, That's right now, a hard one child to digest. Forty percent of the world does not have access to proper sanitation. That's right. Right now, over a million children die under the age of five from just diarrhea. Oh, that's just you know, scary. right now, over a billion people are practicing open defecation, as in pooping outside like animals. Oh. People, human beings, one billion. Um, you know, it's. 50% of hospital beds right now could be alleviated by having clean sanitation in Africa. I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable the statistics when you actually like sit and look at them. So the global sanitation crisis is one of the biggest killers in the world. And again, it's taboo. People don't talk about shit. It's very unsexy. Um, but it's the, it's the biggest, one of the biggest problems in the world that's really killing humans and, and, and affecting humans. Um, the second thing is here in the first world, you know, right now, the way we wipe our butts, hasn't changed since 1890. Toilet paper was brought to this country in 1890 and popularized by Scott Charman, and they put millions of dollars to commoditize toilet paper. And toilet paper is actually really bad for your health. 
you basically are wiping poop up your butt and sitting on that all day long. There are right now combined 27 million cases of urinary tract infections, yeast infections, and hemorrhoids per year that can be fully alleviated by replacing, uh, wiping your butt to toilet paper with using simply a bidet. Um, um, so, so, um, so basically, um, what we're doing is we're bringing bidet attachments to America, which is, um, a, a, like a simple little, um, bidet that you clip onto your toilet and you lift your toilet seat, you clip it on your toilet and, um, it simply connects to your clean toilet water behind your toilet. It takes 10 minutes to install. There's no plumbing, no electrical requirements. It costs between $57 and $84 um, to purchase, so if anyone can afford it, and turn any toilet into a bidet. Wow. And and rather than using toilet paper, you could just spray gentle water into your butt, properly cleaning yourself. We always say, if a bird poops in your face, would you take a piece of paper and smear poop on your face, or would you wash your face? <laughs> would you, I'm asking me? you. Right. I wash my face. There's no question. Right. Of course, so treat your butt like your face. It's clear. And so if you go to tushy.me, T-U-S-H-Y dot M-E, definitely do not go to tushy.com because it is a porn site. <laughs> go to tushy.me. Um, and uh, you'll be able to see our product. It's so easy to install. It's co- it costs so little to use, and it's the most game-changing thing you can do for yourself. Every doctor says the most hygienic thing you can possibly do for yourself is get a bidet. Whether it's when you poop, whether it's pre- and post-sex cleanup, whether it's when you get your period, whether it's when you're dealing with any ovulation or any discharge, anything you need to get cleaned up down there, you can just simply sit in the toilet, you know, turn the knob, it sprays clean water down there, and, you, and off you go. And, and, and right now, you know how many sheets of toilet paper the average American uses per day? Uh, I'll take a guess. Um, 15. 57. What? Sheets of toilet paper per day. The average American uses 57 sheets of toilet paper per day. Look it up. Wow. And, um, do you know how many gallons of water are required to make a single roll of toilet paper? Um, well, the way you asked yes. the question, I'm going to guess quite a few. So four gallons. 37 gallons of water. To make a roll of toilet paper. Yes. To make wow. one roll of toilet paper requires 37 gallons of water. Wow. Wow. And um, basically, because you have to press the paper down, do you know how many trees get chopped down every single year to make toilet paper? I'll tell you, 15 million trees get chopped down every single year to make toilet paper. It is the most unsustainable, unhygienic commodity that's like a hoax and all about marketing. And it's, it's just not good for you. And so what we're saying is get up a day. For yourself, elevating your life for affordably, inexpensively, easily, and help us fight the global sanitation crisis while you're at it. So for every Tushy Soul, we are funding this organization in India called Samagra House that is fighting the global sanitation crisis, bringing clean latrines to communities who really desperately need them. Um, and, uh, and we're seeing huge results with them. That's just absolutely amazing, Mickey. It's just, it's just awesome. Kudos and, and keep it up. Keep it up. What is, is there another taboo subject that's on your radar that you can talk about? Yes, absolutely. The last thing I can talk about is the third P. So really, the first P is period. The second P is P, as in like urine. 
And the third P is poop. And so we didn't really cover the, the second P, which is the urine part, the pee. Yeah, go and pee. Number, number one versus yeah. number two, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so the pee portion is basically, um, right now, you know, while we were listening to people, customers, um, you know, talk about things, and we're selling products and things to customers, we, we heard a lot of customers say, well, I don't just use the underwear for period, but I'm actually using it for when I leak a little bit. Because right now, over uh, like one in three women at some point in their lives will experience what you call urinary incontinence. When they, when you, you know, laugh or cough or jog or run or whatever, you pee a little bit. It's super normal. And one in three women experience light ladder leakage. Um, the, the, the incontinence category is a $4 billion category. And the only offerings right now are crappy things like Depends and Poise. Um, horrible products that women hate. And so what we've done is we've created a new product called, called Icon. That If you go to iconundies.com, you can check it out. Um, and for F, uh, an Icon Undies is basically... Uh, similar to things, but all three different technologies. Absorbent absorbs 25 milliliters of urine. It's leak-proof. It's microbial. It's moisture um, It really, really does the job. Um, and it's odorless and it's fast drying. Um, so um, it really supports women who have light blood leakage, and I'm especially when you're pregnant, pregnant or post-pregnant. And, you know, as I, as I think about, you know, both thanks and icon and, you know, the way, uh, women are, are using these products, sort of the everyday use, it would seem to me that there's probably huge application going back to your major league soccer experience that women who are playing sports, whether it's at an amateur level, uh, or at a professional level, that there's probably huge application for what you're doing with both of these products for, uh, women who athletes. are active and athletes, right? Absolutely, a hundred percent. Oh my gosh! And think about think about myself. Like if I was on a soccer field, you can't tell a referee, "Hey, man, can you stop the game while I go and uh, change my tampon?" Yeah, right. I mean, that's just that. not going to happen. No, and so um, it's really um, it's really game changing. All of these products, all three, you know, things Icon and Tushy are all game changing. And Icon, for every Icon that we're sold, we are funding fistula operations. So a pediatric fistula is when a woman um, gives birth, sometimes she rips a hole in her bladder because there's so much pressure to have a child. And, you know, usually it's an easy sort of um, sewing, stitching up. But, um, but uh, um, you know, when you're in the developing world, you end up peeing yourself for the rest of your life. Oh. And so... And so rather than, and then these women are getting put in these fistula camps to die and get shunned from their families, shunned from their communities, and it's the most horrifying thing in the world. And so um, what we're doing is, uh, what we're doing is um, uh, we are helping fund fistula operations um, to, uh, to, to get these girls and women back to their families and back to their lives. 
Uh, it's it's unbelievable what you're doing, and to think all of this really from uh, that moment uh, of of obviously the the horror in September of 2011 that got you oh, okay. on this path to make the difference in the world that you're making, uh, it's just absolutely amazing. And and if we've got a, another minute or two, I just I, I have to ask because I know you draw a tremendous amount of your inspiration. From a variety of sources, but in particular, you, you have your twin sister, and I know that you've been a pretty consistent participant uh, at Burning Man year after year. Oh, yeah. What can you share um, from an inspiration standpoint that you get from, from your sister, from your twin sister, or from uh, the Burning Man that you go to, uh, your burn? Oh, my gosh. It's probably, again, like, it, it was one of the most impactful um, experiences of my life. Um, and I've been going for the last five years with my sixth year going. Um, and, uh, I, yeah, I, um, I will probably go for the rest of my life. <laughs> the way I describe, the way I describe Burning Man, it's like, it's like plugging into the creative source. You get so much creativity out of, um, of going there and there's there's no commoditization it's decommodification and so that means that there's no logos no brands it's just people making art for the sake of art it's people going experiencing themselves for the sake of experiencing themselves it's just so it's just one of the most inward and beautiful inward and outward journeys one could ever experience it's like landing on mars really it's nuts. It's insane. Well, at, uh, if elon has his way which it looks like is happening we're, we we might be able to do that here real soon right yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Mickey, I can't. I, I know you've got a busy schedule. I can't thank you enough for spending the time with us. You are just—you're awesome. I love chatting with you. I can't wait to see you again soon. Thank you, and keep up the kick-ass work. Until next time, thank you for listening, folks. You can obtain a transcribed version of this show and hear more interviews from the Built on Purpose podcast on our website, yscouts.com forward slash podcast. There were quite a few questions I didn't have the opportunity to address during my time with Mickey. I'm guessing based on the interview, you may have a burning question or two as well. Mickey has agreed to answer some further questions from our listeners, so please drop me a line at brian at yscouts.com with your questions and I'll forward them on to Mickey. If you enjoyed Mickey's interview, there are several others I think you'll dig as well. Doug Rao, founder and CEO of The Daily Table and CEO of Conscious Capitalism. Kristen Hadid, the founder of Student Made. And Ann Rhodes, former chief people officer at Southwest Airlines and author of Built on Values, are just a few of the many episodes you can find at yscouts.com forward slash podcast. I promise more great interviews are on the way. Thanks again for listening.